0: For the rest of us, we will be continuing in the book of Ephesians, and remember, we are in the section that is, uh, there's two, two major sections, there's the indicative and the imperative. The indicative is all of the truths, all of the things that are true of those who put their faith in Christ, all of that identity stuff, and we're in that second section that builds off of it. How then do we walk in a way that fits with who we are and uh, what Christ has done with, uh, for us? And so with that, uh, we are once again looking at commandments. Today, focusing on two particular commandments, two sins that Paul sees as especially dangerous for the Gentile believers who have come to faith. Now, these are not the pinnacle sins. They are not the worst of all of sins. But they are those that are most probably entrenched in the Gentile culture and those that are the greatest danger to these new followers, uh, and the things that are are most contrary to the things that they have been taught their whole lives. And oddly enough, I'd say 2,000 years later, they are very much the exact same struggles of our current culture. There is nothing new under the sun. And these sins remain and are very much, uh, I'd say, the focus of many of the battles in uh, the American church. Sexual sin and covetousness. Sexual sin and covetousness. Things that we battle, things that uh, the world is saturated with. And, all right, if we've struggled for this for 2,000 years, uh, we probably need some spiritual ammo to help us in the fight. And we cannot just uh, hope that these things fall away. Now, as a community, we have to together battle and fight, we have to reinforce the truth, we have to reinforce that Christ, uh, in all of his glory and all of his love, he frees us from darkness and allows us to to walk in new life. And so today we're going to look at these two sins and first, what are they? Why are they contrary to the Christian life? What, What makes them so bad or so wrong? How do they Grow and fester in the body of Christ, and then finally, how do we gain freedom? How do we gain freedom from them? All right, what are they? Why are they contrary? Why do they fester? How do we gain freedom? All right, and I'll, I'll give you the the punchline ahead of time. As a collective effort of the community of Christ, we are to grow in the light of the knowledge of Jesus. And that as we believe the truths that Jesus is the light of the world and drawing us out of darkness and reinforce that as a community, we'll gain more and more freedom, right? So we're going to learn how to do that. And with that, let's read Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 14. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving, for you may be sure of this. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will rise on you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our standing in Christ. We thank you that we are light and no longer darkness. And we ask that by your power we may walk in these things. We may walk as children of light. We may live in the freedom that Christ has won for us. So, Lord, would you convict us would you change us as a body and lord would you help us to embrace all the freedom that is found in the love and truth of christ we pray in his name amen all right so we begin by understanding okay what are these sins and what is so wrong with them why are they so contrary to who we are all right. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. All right, so we're starting first with a, this kind of breath of fresh air of who we are in Christ. We are the children. We are beloved. Christ has died for us. always, the indicative to the imperative, is always the truths first. But then he could identifies these two sins. First, sexual immorality and all impurity. One category there. And second, covetousness. Alright, so let's walk through these. What do these really mean? All right, the first set of sins is uh, more or less obvious. It's, we, we know, I think, uh, inherently, we'll explain the other one more, but All right, what does this mean? This is the whole gamut and multitude of expressions of sin, of sexual immorality, everything, all sexual activity and lust outside of the covenantal marriage bond of a husband and wife. Anything outside of that falls into this category of sexual immorality and all impurity. And that is where God, as as our God, in all of his wisdom, he has given sex a context and barriers. And he's given that gift to a husband and a wife together. Anything outside of those bonds falls under this category. Anything, all thoughts, actions, desires not bound by a husband for his wife or a wife for her husband falls under the realm of sexual sin. In our actions, we are not to wander. In our thoughts, we are not to stray. In our desires, we are not supposed to to go looking or desiring. And our bodies are not to be used for any other purpose. Do we have clarity on what we're talking about. All right. Now, I recognize that is, that is not what our culture believes. Maybe that's not what you believe. And you hear that and it sounds prudish or it sounds narrow or maybe even worse, it sounds condemning or hateful. To draw the lines in the sand as I just did. Now, first, some clarifiers. The goal of this is not for me to be the, the one who casts the first stone, as it were. That, oh yes, we, anyone comes from a place of perfection and holiness, and that this is meant to, to condemn those who have not risen to this level of holiness. No. We already said that we have Jesus, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This standard is set first to identify us as sinners and to bring us all together and to, as, as those who are sexually immoral and impure. My hope is that you, if this, if this feels heavy on you, Christ has come to lift the heavy burdens of sin and to offer forgiveness. But I also say this as someone who is trying to be true to Scripture. And I am unwilling to give you less than the, the full holiness of God in His standards. And the purpose of this is, is not to... No, that's, that's wrong. I'm saying it wrong. Uh, the point of this is, like, you don't get to choose. That's who God is. He is holy. He is other. And if this feels like something that, like, that, that feels really foreign to me, That's not evidence that God is wrong. That's that's probably evidence that God is right. And that in our unholiness, we can't even fathom such a high standard for sexual purity. And yet we have a God who is is pure beyond our wildest imaginations. And yes, there are people who, believers and non-believers, who do not believe this. But I think it is very clear in Scripture that that is the God that we worship. And behind that, we always want to go behind that, so behind the laws is God. And who is God that He would create this kind of law? He is faithful. He is faithful and He is committed. And so, when He unites with us, He doesn't unite with us and then then disappear. He doesn't commit Himself and, and say, I'm yours and you are mine, and then flee the scene. No, he is faithful to those that he is united with. He is unendingly faithful. And he makes covenants with his people and devotes himself in love to them and says, I, I will be your God and you will be my people. And even if you are faithless, I will be faithful. And I will be there. And as, as Jesus comes and calls to himself, his the church as his bride. He does so only in the context of covenant. Only in context of marriage. Only in the context of this union is evidence of my undying and even my dying commitment to you. And that is why that is why we have the sexual ethic that we do. The yes with his faithfulness comes this this union with great joy but they always and only come together as two very foreign entities god and humanity coming together as one in christ that is the picture we are trying to put on display in sexual purity and so i ask how are you struggling in this area how are you struggling? How are you failing to put on display the the beauty of who God is? And put off the old man and put on the new. Now, why is this so important? Why is this so important? Paul wants to lay the foundation and say, like, this is important because of, of who you are. And of all the truths that we said before, and what are some of the truths that, that establish these things, that make it important? All right, so sex, it's, it's all about union, like I said. Sex is about union. And we are ultimately united to Jesus Christ by faith. That is what happens when we put our faith in Jesus. We are united to him. So united that we become what His body. We are called the body of Christ; that He is the head, and we are the body. And we are united in such a way that we are so holy that we become the temple, the very dwelling place of God. Ephesians two nineteen through twenty two. You are fellow citizens with the saints, and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Right. Do you know that? Do you understand that that is who you are? You are the very body of Christ. You are the temple. God living in us collectively. Now, what will what will the body of Christ do? What will it touch? What will it gaze upon? What will it desire? And we start to realize that if that is who we are, there are implications for what happens. Who is going to be worshipped in the temple of God? And that's where 1 Corinthians it talks about how sexual sin is, is a union too. It is a union with the object of that sexual sin. Shall we take the members of Christ and make them members of the sexually immoral? Will we, as the body of Christ, unite ourselves with evil, with impurity? Will we profane the temple by bringing unholiness and impurity into it? Will we like hold the, will we force the spirit inside of us to participate in things of darkness and things of evil? That is what happens. That is why it is so heinous to to commit these things. As the holy and pure body, as the perfect and holy temple, it matters what we do. It matters for us. It matters for God himself. Now, the second. Covetousness. Covetousness. Now, oftentimes, okay, when we think covet, we think the Ten Commandments, and we think uh, that last commandment, and we think, namely, of desiring the things of other people. That you shouldn't covet your, your neighbor's wife for... His ox or his donkey or that, that kind of stuff. All right. I think that's, uh, that's true, but I think that's probably too narrow in this passage. I think covetousness here is trying to get at something a little bit bigger than that. It's so thinking you have all of those inordinate desires specifically for wealth and riches and stuff. It's this desire to have more and more to gather for yourself in this life. I think a, a good word for it would be avarice. All right? Why did they not use that word? Because you don't know that word. <laughs> I didn't know that word. I, I like looked it up in commentary. I was like, this means avarice. And you're like, okay, good. Uh what is avarice? Avarice is this. This selfish desire to just gather as much as you can, regardless of if you even need it. You're just gathering for gathering's sake. I think of the the dragon, the quintessential dragon that's just like laying on this mound of gold. And you wonder, like, why does he need any of that? Why does a dragon need gold? He doesn't care about gold. He doesn't use it for anything. But, like, what does he do? He, He kills and protects his gold at all costs. And just lounges around on it because he he has avarice in him. All right. Now, do do we know this kind of temptation? All right. For many of you, you have never really been in need. And that's not true of all of you, but that's for many of you. You have never actually been hungry for lack of food. You have never been left outside for lack of home. You've never had to choose between one need and another need. I I haven't. And the reality is, is, what stands before us is just desires and wants. And we have to really wrestle with ourselves and ask, like, what, what am I running after now that I have my needs met? What stands before me? Why, why do I do the things that I do? Is it merely to put more gold in my heap so I can lay on it and, and feel good about it? And that's where we, we have to recognize that we look at our closets and we just like cram more into it and wish they were bigger so we could put more stuff in them. <laughs> the other day I was like, I wish my house were bigger because then I could like buy more furniture. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of opposite, but you know, it's a little twisted. Like, uh, or we have things that like we have never unwrapped. They still have the tags on them, and we're giving them to the Goodwill because we like, we never needed them. We never we realized we didn't actually want them, or we we run after things and we realize like. This thing that you've wanted for so long and then you get it. And a couple days later, you want the next thing. You couldn't care less about the things now sitting in your closet and and you've moved on. The thing in your garage, the tool you've so wanted like you never even used and and the more we get, it just is evidence of this infinite desire within us. That is avarice. And why is it so bad? This passage reminds us that we are God's children. That we are God's children. And as children, we are heirs. Heirs to all of the inheritance of Christ. And that God, he, he lavishes his grace upon us. And, and treats us as objects of all of his kindness. Not, not because we earned it, because we, we freely gained it. And he says that we are seated in the heavenly places with Christ. And that we are kings and queens. With crowns on our heads and clothed in majesty. All a free gift. And yet, what do we find ourselves doing? We find ourselves chaining ourselves to this world with all of its junk and all of its desires. And where our, where our treasures are, there our hearts are also. And he's saying that when we do this, we, we are killing our heart for that kingdom. We're killing our, our heart for all of the riches that have been given to us in Christ. And there's no room to love God because we have loved all of these other things. And there's no room to run after the treasures of heaven because, no, we we are constantly running after treasures on earth. And maybe even even worse of all, that that hoarding mentality, he's saying that's completely contrary to the kingdom. First, how did you get any of the riches of of Christ freely? They're freely gifted to you from the rich one who saw you in your poverty and gave it to you. He says, all right, how then? How then can you not then? Even if if you have all this stuff that you don't even need, not give it away. It just doesn't make sense for the children of God. It doesn't make sense for who you are. So I ask, what are you pursuing? What do you want? What do you think you so desperately need today that tomorrow you will not even care about? How are you trading one thing that you already own for the slightly better version? Or the next upgrade? How do you, how do you live life, like, not even realizing that there's riches that you pursue that you don't even use, you've never wanted? avarice all right all right do you feel the weight of it do you see the incongruency between these two things who you are and and who we are in the world all right so what do you do about it paul is surprisingly practical And he doesn't say, okay, you just need to look into your heart and change your ultimate desires. He says that other places, but he says you need to be careful how you talk about it. This happens in community, and you can either reinforce these things and, and entrench them in your community, or you can fight them in the way you talk about them. In your everyday talk, you can either fight these sins or build them up says first, you must, these things must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. All right, what does that mean? These must not even be named among you. All right, I'll give you a, a picture of this. Uh, I used to live in San Diego. And there are certain things that were not named. And I didn't know the names of these things until I came here. All right, do you know what these things are? Right. Sleet squall, wintry mix, freezing rain, black ice, ice storms. All right. I, we like saw the little icons when you looked up the, what the weather's going to be and you're like, I've never seen that one. All right. <laughs> go look it up, like, uh-oh. <laughs> it's like an ice with a lightning bolt and some water and I don't know. Um, all right. Now, why did I not know, not know these terms? All right, it wasn't because I my head was in the sand or we didn't admit that they were there. No, they didn't exist. They did not exist in our community, so we didn't know about them. We didn't talk about them. And now some of some people some people knew what they meant, but they didn't talk about them either, because those were darker days. <laughs> and they'd come to the land of light and sun and peace and had had left that former life behind, and we don't need to talk about them any longer. All right, that's what we're saying. All right, for us not to know those terms would be silly, because uh, they're here. What is he saying? He's saying, don't even, like, they shouldn't be named, because they just aren't there. And if they used to be there, like, you've totally left them behind, and so you're not still talking about them you're not looking back on on better days or or longing for death as it used to be no they're not on our lips because there's there's nothing in them and we realize that and we don't want to reinforce the any sort of beauty in these things that are so ugly all right it's not This kind of self-righteous, I don't know, kind of like country club mentality. Like, yeah, it's there, but we don't talk about it. No, it's not there, so we don't talk about it. He goes on. And he goes to say, okay, the way you talk about these things matter. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. How we talk about sexual sin and material desire, it, it shapes our community. It shapes how you think about it. It shapes how the person you're talking to thinks about it. And so we have to be sanctified in our humor. And to joke about these things is to bring them onto our lips and to trivialize them. And to make evil uh, not so evil. And to somehow, like, fit it into the conversation. And that's, that shouldn't be. All right, these things are not jokes. These are not things that Jesus laughs about. Like These are things that Jesus died for. That demanded his death on the cross. All right, when I say this, anytime I've ever said anything like this, people are like, well, you just don't get the joke. Like, no. The joke is Unholy. <laughs> and unrighteous, and it's not funny. I get it. I, I get the pun. I get what you're trying to say. It's just not good. All right, or, or joking, like, joking to reinforce sin just is not, uh, not acceptable and not okay, and we kill that stuff just like we kill every other sin. All right, are you ready to do that? Are you ready to be less funny in the name of Jesus? I'm sorry, you have to be. Yes, people will laugh. They shouldn't. And you can get a cheap laugh at the cost of Jesus or or not. And that's where, no, we won't. Good? I'm actually asking you to not make these jokes anymore. Will you actually not do that? All right. Uh, Instead, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to speak the truth to one another. And Paul, he talks about what speaking the truth of this looks like. Oh, sorry, I forgot one. You have other things that you can talk to people about. Thanksgiving. You know, let there be Thanksgiving. Instead of talking about, like, the thing that you want so badly, how about you talk about the thing that you have in Christ? And the joys that we have in him, and the blessings that we have been given, and, like, build each other up in, in longing for Jesus. Not in the ways of the world. All right. Now, the, the truth, the truth as Paul gives it, verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He's saying, instead of belittling these things, let's speak the truth. And the truth first is that covetousness is idolatry. All right, we're drawing that parallel there. So these are not just innocent desires for and wants. They're another idolatry. And secondly, what what is the result of these things? The people who run after these things, the fruit of it is wrath and judgment and not having an inheritance in Christ and God. All right. For all of that perceived pleasure, what do they get? They get judgment and wrath. For all of that perceived wealth, they miss out on the true riches of Christ. His heavenly inheritance offered by grace. Right. Are we willing to talk like that? And to speak of the truth like that? Instead he says, "No, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Does the way you talk reinforce these truths? All right. Do we say things like, well, if it doesn't hurt anyone, it's fine. It's two consenting adults. Why does it matter? All right. It matters because God is God. And it does hurt those involved. It, it has eternal ramifications. These are not innocent things. Uh, Love is love. God is love. God is love and he says what love is love. And he he knows what is best for us and he loves us and he doesn't give these things in a vacuum to test us. He gives them to, to love us and to guide us in truth and to guide us in life. It's just an appetite. We give the body what it wants. What is the body for? The body is not for feeding of appetites. The body is for the glory of God. That's why we were created. Or do we say things like, you know, it's okay to want things. Right. Behind that, but like, what does your heart really want? Does it want Christ? Does it want the riches that that are true in Christ? That are offered to you by grace? Uh, everyone else has those things. I know they do. The road is narrow. The road is narrow and the other path is wide. I get that. We are called to take the narrow path. Or someone said, you know what? So, so, Peter, you're saying all pleasures are bad. All right, who does that sound like? The serpent, the serpent saying, "Like, so what did God tell you? So you can't even touch the thing? Like, no, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if there are like these things that you're running after that are desires, and they're false, and don't don't minimize those things by and, and claim that you know what this is being mean or being legalistic. No, if they're evil desires, they need to die. They do." Right. Do not be deceived by empty words. And please don't spout the empty words to one another, like they're true. All right. If someone says like, "Hey, I'm I'm struggling with worldliness," and you're like, "No, we all struggle with that." Like, that's a lie. And you're just reinforcing sin. Or says like, "You know what? No, you're fine. I want that too." Like, <laughs> no. All right. Ser- serious. Some of you had said to me the very lies of the world with absolute conviction like you're speaking scripture. All right. They're the truths of the world because they're the truths of the world. And if you got them from the world, they're probably not great. And at least we have to challenge them and, and wrestle with them. But to form convictions about these sorts of things, about Sex and about materialism, like our culture is not the expert on those things. They're the expert on being led astray by those things. And so, things that you find there, like this, is a great truth about these. It's probably not going to be great. And those probably shouldn't be your moral guidelines for these things. Okay, do not be deceived with empty words. Uh. Kids, please do not make your career goal being rich. All right. That's not a career goal. That's avarice. All right. Uh, parents, please do not tell your kids that they can't be something or do this job because it doesn't make enough money. Or please don't have this standard of like, you know, you have to make money. Then that's clearly all we care about from your calling. Like, no, that's reinforcing the lie. Uh don't constantly talk about how wealthy other people are. It's not helpful. Uh, don't tell your kids that you want to grow, have them grow up to be Casanovas and to get all the girls. Like, no. You, like, don't want that. You want, like, I, I joke, like, holy nerds. No, you don't, you don't want them either. But that, that's not the point. Like, but you, you want those who are nerds in the world's eyes for their purity. That's good. All right. Uh, We fight this together. We fight this as a community. We fight this in every word that we say. Now, what do we do after that? We live in light of Christ. And look, look back at this, just so we have clarity. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, verse 7, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. All right, It does not say, and if you ever do these things, then you are a child of darkness, and hey, you, you were never a believer. It doesn't say that. And it doesn't say, it doesn't matter if you're a light and you believe in Jesus. If, you're, if you commit these sins, then wrath comes upon you. It doesn't say that. What does he say? He says these sins are characteristic of the children of darkness. And that's not who you are in Christ. So, not you're not darkness. It says, don't partner with those who are in that darkness. It's reinforcing who we are in Christ. It has not thrown out the gospel. It is not said that, well, your sins has put you in a new category, apparently. No, it's saying you were always, you're still in the category of light. Like, like live like it. Be that. Remember who you are. You are not walking in death anymore. You've been brought out of these things. You've been given this, this life that is in Christ, and now a path of life to walk. And so walk it. Trusting that Jesus actually loves you and has put you on this path for a reason. You are light in the Lord. You are holy in Jesus. You are, you are the children of God. You are the temple. You are the beloved of Christ. You are the objects of his lavish love and grace. You are the temple that he longs to make a place of holy worship. That is who you are. And do not let the world draw you into shoddy little identities that are far less than that. Do not let them make you a dragon. Do not let them make you an idolater or sexually immoral. Like those are, We have so much more life than that. Pleasure is forevermore at the right hand of Christ. And we let that knowledge sink in and, and grow in us. 2 Corinthians 4.6 For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. you right, saying that, that like, the same like, recreational power the same power that that brought light into existence out of nothing, the power of creation has turned us into these new people. And that through Christ he has given us the knowledge of his glory and like turned us into completely new beings. Do not here in this fall back into slavery to the law and I need to go try harder. No, you need to be who you are. And live in all that Christ has shown you to be. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even uh, speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. You are light. You are children of light. Christ has enlightened our eyes to see the truth. And to see through the lies of the world. And to see the the path of life that Christ has set for us. To believe that these restraints are because he loves us. And because he cares for us. And he wants to give us life abundant. I've come to give you life and life abundant. Fullness of life. Fullness of joy. Do we believe that we could find those things following Christ and walking in Him? If so, then take all of the darkness in you and expose it to the light. Bring it to the cross of Jesus. Show it for what it really is. Let it it burn in the light. Let it burn and be purified before your Savior who loves you and he wants to cleanse us from darkness. Now one last thing. For some of you, this sounds like death. It sounds like death. Just killing all the things that are your favorite things. <laughs> and maybe even your identity. Like, no, this is, this, this is what I've always wanted, or this is, this is what I am. And yeah, it might be death. It might be death of the things that feel most right to you. And that is, that it's, we talked about the death of the old man. It is death. But what do we believe? We believe in resurrection. That Jesus died and was resurrected. And if we die in Christ, we'll be resurrected to greater joy and life and light. Let us trust that if we kill these things, we will find more life and not less. We will find that abundant life in Christ to our everlasting joy that we may give God all the glory for all that he has done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you reveal to us who you are and what you call us to do. Father, first so that we, we, we may be struck down from all of our self-righteousness or all of our, uh, our attempts to justify ourselves, that we may rest upon Christ alone. And Father, may we then, resting in Christ alone, walk with him in righteousness and holiness. Lord, would you convict us of ways that we are still entrenched in these sins and Father, would you help us not to fight as the world would fight, not to fight as non-Christians or as legalists or as, uh, as misers or self-chastisers, but Father, to, to fight these things as the children of, of yours, of children of light, walking in the light and walking in the love and life that Christ has for us. We thank you for all that you have given us in Christ. We thank you for this Holy Spirit who walks with us and guides us in all truth and helps us to, to die and gives us the life that we need. Would you fill us with him? Would you give us the truth, we pray in Christ's name.